Okay, well, good morning. If you'd like to be just finding your seats, good to say hi to people, good to welcome each other this morning. And uh, we'll have plenty of time after the meeting to gather together. We're going to serve tea and coffee, and uh, we'll be able to uh, just spend time catching up with each other then. So uh, really great to see uh, each other. So we're going to be heading into uh, our passage for the morning that we're going to be looking at. My name is Mark, by the way, Mark Rushworth. I'm one of the leaders here at Christ Central Church, and it's great to welcome you uh, online. And if you're with us in person, even, uh, even great to see, even better to be able to see you face to face. But we're so glad that people can join us online when they're unable to be here. We've spent a lot of time in Ephesians chapter 1 over the last few months and have been seeing many of the blessings that we have in Christ. And we've also been seeing something of the glory of God in the church, who's, uh, and the church is the body of Christ. We were seeing that last time I was preaching in Ephesians. And so now we are into chapter 2. And uh, this is a chapter which is so full of the greatness of God and who we are in Him. It's an amazing chapter. We'll be able to draw many things out of chapter 2 in the coming weeks and, uh, and months. And we're going to start off this morning by reading verses 1 through 10. And I'll be reading from the ESV translation this time just because there's a few places uh, in the ESV which convey a little more clearly what Paul was getting at uh, than the NIV translation. Usually I would read from the NIV. If you've got the NIV, that's fine. You can just read from that. But uh, I'll read from the ESV and the words are going to be uh, from the ESV when we get to the passage. And this passage, uh, the first 10 verses, Paul is going to start off with some pretty bad news for people, really, where they're at without Christ. People outside of Christ, it's bad news. Um, but then in verse 4, we get to a but God, but God. And that's where we transition and we get the really good news. We've got to look at the bad news uh, in this passage to see how bad that is before we get to the good news and we just see how good the good news is. Now, I'm not very good at giving my messages titles, uh, but based on verse 4, I've entitled this message, A Big Butt. Um, so I thought, you know, we might have some kids here. It might help them to remember. Maybe some big kids here as well. Uh, so that's what the passage is called this time, A Big Butt. We've got to look at the spelling. <laughs> All right. We'll read for the first 10 verses. It says this, and you were dead in the trans uh, sorry, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following in the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we once all lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath, being like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith, 
This isn't your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. All right, so we ended chapter one with uh, looking up, looking upward to see Jesus seated at the right hand of the Father with all power and authority given to him. But then Paul, at the start of chapter two, and of course there were no chapter divisions originally, they, they later came in, Paul quickly shifts his focus and he says, look, this is where you once were. This is where you were once uh, seated. And he says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins. In your trespasses and sins. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. Paul says we were dead. We were dead. He doesn't say you were really struggling. He doesn't say you really needed some help. He doesn't even say you were really sick. He says, we were dead. We were dead. That is not good. Because dead people cannot do much. They can't do much about the situation that they find themselves in. In fact, they can do absolutely nothing about the situation that they find themselves in. We were dead. Now, it seems pretty clear and it seems pretty stark. But we only need to read a few more words before we think, hang on, this is a little confusing because he says, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you once walked. And you're like, wait, what? We were dead, but we were walking. You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you once walked. What's going on there? We, we were dead and walking? What, are we kind of like zombies? You know, is it like one of these zombie movies? I didn't know there were zombies in the Bible. Actually, if you want to look for zombies in the Bible, you want to go to Matthew 27 and verse 52 and the crucifixion. And uh, Matthew's account of the crucifixion says that all the graves opened up and, the, and dead people came out of them and they walked into Jerusalem. So you pretty much got your zombies there. Uh, I'm not sure Paul is talking about us being zombies at this point. Um, but uh, what does Paul mean then? What's Paul meaning if he says we were dead and we were walking in sins? How can a dead person walk? How can a dead person do things which he calls sins and transgressions, things that are wrong, things that are against God? Well, maybe to understand what he means by being dead, what does it mean by being dead? We need to ask the question, well, what is life? If we want to know what death is, being dead, what does it mean to be alive? And Jesus, in uh, John chapter 17 and verse 50 and verse 3, prays to the Father. It's a long prayer that Jesus is praying. And he says this. He says, now this is eternal life. Okay, what's life then, Jesus? This is eternal life that they know you, that people know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ who you have sent. In other words, life is knowing God, being in relationship with God, enjoying Him, walking with Him. Actually, that's what we were created to do. We were created to know God. We were created to enjoy His presence. We were created to walk with Him. We get this, um, you know, the start of, of, of uh, in creation. You get Genesis, early chapters, and you get 
Adam and Eve, and they were walking with God, or God would walk in the garden with them. They spent time. There was intimacy there. That's life. That's what God created us to do. And Jesus is praying to the Father, and he said, you know what? He said, I'm wanting my followers to have life, and this is what life is. It's knowing you, the only true God, and Jesus who you have sent. And we can know God by receiving the Spirit of God into our lives. And, th and that will lead us into an eternity of knowing God. You know, as we know Christ now, as we know God through the power of the Holy Spirit, that leads us to an eternity of life, everlasting life in God's presence. So if being alive is knowing God, then being dead is not knowing God. Living life in other ways which ultimately lead to that, you know, so that separation that we have from God. And Adam was separated from God. And we'll look more at what Adam did and what, how that affects us in a moment. But there's that separation from God. We live life in ways which ultimately uh, mean we don't have a relationship with God. And there is a final death which is going to come to us. Just as we have life and we know Jesus and then ultimately we'll enter into everlasting life knowing Jesus. As we walk in death, there's a final death which will come, which will lead to an ultimate everlasting separation from God. We will never know God. People call that hell. Not knowing anything of God in our lives. No goodness at all. Nothing good which comes from our Father at all. In some states in the, uh, in the U.S., murder and other crimes are punishable by execution. And in the past, if you were sentenced to death by execution, you would be, um, you would be in prison. You would be on what was called death row, and that's still the case today. But in the past, if uh, there was a prisoner who was on death row who was taken out for any reason, maybe they had a medical uh, that they had to do, even sometimes as they were being led to the, um, to the execution, uh, the place of execution. But even before that, if they had to go past other inmates, the prison guard would call out in these states, dead man walking, dead man walking. Now, from what I understand, this practice doesn't actually happen any longer, and it only happened in a few states, but it, it, was, it was a very apt phrase that was called out because what it meant was, here's someone who is under sentence of death. The decision has been made. The judgment has been set. They are in chains. They're shackled. They can't do anything about what is coming. At some point very soon, there will be a death. And right now, this is a dead man walking. Someone who is dead, but walking. There are some actions, yes, that he can take. Maybe he can walk slow or a little faster. He can speak. He can breathe. But there's many things that he cannot do. He cannot escape the chains that he is in. Ultimately, there's no escape dead man walking. And for those of us who are in Christ, Paul is saying, that's what you once were. That's what you once were. You were dead people walking. Yes, you make some choices. It might seem even as though we're in some sort of control of our lives, 
but we can't help but sin. We're really in chains. We cannot escape them. And Paul says there are three things which controlled our lives and made us that way. The world, the flesh, and the devil. He talks about them in a different order. He talks about the world, the devil, and the flesh. They're all listed here in this passage. Paul says, we were following the course of this world. He says, we were following the prince of the power of the air. That's the devil. And he says, and we were living in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind. The world, the flesh, the devil. So, what, what does that mean? Well, we were following the course of this world. We were following the course of this world. We, we see people do that all the time, don't we? People are slaves in that way. We, we, we kind of all follow what we're told. Of course, we like to think that we've got some free choices, that we make our own decisions about things. You know, you think, well, I can make decisions about what we, what we choose to wear. Okay, but generally, it's because they're fashionable. Um, and we follow a trend. We wear the things that, that other people wear around us. We're not, we'll wear things that are, people wear in our culture. We don't tend to wear clothes that people wear in other cultures. So we make choices, but within limits. We, we watch the shows and the movies that other people watch. We listen to the music that other people uh, listen to. We want to buy and possess what other people have. Even when we think that we're rebelling against the way of others by being different, we're following others who want to be different. Um, and we also think what other people think. We believe what other people believe in our society. So in South Africa, under uh, the apartheid system, many people uh, were racist. They believed it was right. They just believed that was the way the world should be. And that was how things were lived out. In Russia currently, uh, many people uh, probably think that their country is acting rightly and is justified in invading Ukraine because that's what they're being told by their government. And uh, we, we don't need to spend too long to realize that there are going to be things in our society which don't line up with what God says either. We can see it easily in other societies. We can see, well, why are people thinking that? How can people believe that? It's very easy to see that, even in countries that are closer to us, like the States. But um, we have to realize that there are things in our society that we will just accept as normal, but they might not line up with what God's Word says. And our society will tell us all sorts of things. We'll get it at school the whole time. We'll get it at our universities. We're being conditioned in, in terms of what to think. And so we're following the ways of the world. We're following the ways of the world when we're dead in our sins. We think we're free to choose what we want, but actually, we're slaves. We're slaves. And, 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 and people feel that, that they, they've got freedom. They feel, actually, that Christianity is restricting that freedom. Say, oh, you know, I don't want to follow God. I want the freedom to live the way I want to live in the world. But we need to see that sin is not freedom. Sin is not freedom. Sin is slavery. That's what the Bible tells us. Sin is slavery. Sin is our master. We can't defeat it. We're in chains by it. it sin masters us. Sin controls us. We often talk about addictions, don't we? 
say, oh yeah, we've got addictions these days to, to social media. We've got addictions to different substances. We've got addictions to things that we watch. We've got addictions to this and that and the other. And there's addictions to all sorts of things. Well, really, that's just a very visible symptom that actually we are all addicted. We're slaves. We're slaves. We're being controlled by things which we are not in control of. Outside of Christ, we are all hopelessly addicted to sin as we follow the ways of the world. We also follow uh, the ways of the devil. Paul wants us to know that there's a demonic presence at work in people's lives. He mentions it several times in this letter. He talks about Jesus being far above every power and dominion. So in Christ, actually, we're above every power and dominion. He talks about the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places in chapter 3. And in chapter 6, he talks about us putting on the armor of God so that we can stand against the schemes of the devil. If we don't have the armor of God, if we're not in Christ, actually, we cannot stand against the schemes of the devil. The devil has power over us. Paul says the devil is at work in the sons of disobedience. Satan is at work in those who don't know Jesus. And sometimes we see that more clearly than others. Especially we see it, I can see it when there's a, a, a big crowd gathers. Sometimes, I don't know if you've seen this, there's a crowd and, and something kind of almost seems to get hold of them and, and, they, and people act as one, as this crowd, this crowd mob mentality sometimes it's called. And you, and you get people within that crowd who are doing things that you think they would never normally do. After the event, you know, maybe there's some violence happened or some, some, uh, you know, some, some terrible things that are going on, looting and, and robbing. That, we've seen that happen in society many times. And often when that's happened, they'll say afterwards, oh, these are some of the people. This was a banker who was involved in here. This was, some, this was a teacher or a university lecturer. People who were highly respected, but they get caught up in some sort of crowd mentality. And the, actually, it's the devil at work in that sometimes. It's the devil at work. The devil is at work in the sons of disobedient. That just doesn't mean people who are disobedient on occasions. It means people who are disobedient by their nature, because actually that's the source of our character. Our character leads us to that. Sin is our lack of desire to be obedient to God. Sin is our, we don't want to be obedient to God Yet it, we know it's right to obey God, but we don't want to live life God's way. We want to live life our way. And so we're going to do what we want to do. Paul doesn't come and just lay down the law. He doesn't just say, do you know what? Come on, you've got to be, you've got to be doing this. This is the law. This is the right way. This is what you've got to do. Paul wants us to come to the obedience of faith. He wants us to come to the obedience of faith. He wants us to understand that we have a God who loves us and he's for us and he wants the best for us and he wants us to get to a place of wanting to know God. We follow the prince of the power of the air when we don't know Christ and we follow the desires of our flesh. We just go with whatever our cravings desire, whether that's food or drink or comfort or sex or revenge or possessions or, or position in life. Those are the things which 
affect us. Those are the things which lead us. Those are the things which our flesh craves. And so we're led into those ways. Outside of Christ, we're all born into disobedience. It doesn't take long, does it, for if you have a baby, it doesn't take long to realize that babies are pushing the boundaries. They can hardly do anything, but they push the boundaries at the earliest age by being disobedient to their parents. They don't have to be taught to be disobedient. It's just there from birth. They go with whatever their cravings lead them to do. And the Bible tells us that all of this comes from Adam. Adam sinned. Adam rebelled against God. Adam wanted to choose to go his own way. He wanted to go the way of the tempter. He wanted to go the way of the devil, and he did. And so God, in his righteous judgment, cast Adam and Eve out from God's presence. And ever since, and he said, death's come into the world. Death, separation from God. And ever since then, people have been born with that sinful nature. In Genesis chapter 5 and verse 3, it says, Adam had a son in his own likeness, in his own image. Adam had children, and, and they were born in his image. What does that mean? They were born with that sinful nature. And they had children and were born with that sinful nature. That seed of Adam was passed from generation to generation to generation to generation. And it was passed to us. We all were born sons of Adam. Adam became the father of a race like him. Sons and daughters of disobedience. And it's because of that that we sin. It's because of Adam that we sin. It's because of Adam that we die that we're separated from God. We're born sinners. That's why we sin. It's not that there's any worse, you know, this person's worse than this person. Actually, we're, we're all born sinners. That's why we sin. And once we realize that, we understand we can't do anything about it. Paul says in Romans chapter 3 and verse 10, he says, there's no one righteous, not even one. Not even one. Aside from Jesus, out of the billions and billions of people who have ever been born on earth over all of the centuries, not one has lived without sin. Not one. Billions of people. Oh, surely there can be someone who just tries so hard, who is good enough, who can manage to not sin. No. There's no one righteous. Not even one. It's no good just trying harder. It won't work. It's no good just trying to make ourselves look moral because we know that actually deep inside our thoughts and our hearts that we're not. And some people can, can kind of pretend and they like to make out that they're better than others. And, and maybe some people can get very vocal about some obvious sins in other people. Oh, that person shouldn't be doing this. This person shouldn't be doing that. And, and uh, you know, but actually everyone's in the same position. Jesus criticized the Pharisees for that, didn't he? He said, he said oh, you, you stand there and you make out that you're pious and you make out that you're so good and so holy and you, you pray and you fast. He said, you're just whitewashed tombs. He said, inside, I know what's really going on. That's what's going on in everyone. You know, people who condemned. And Jesus would say, no, let, let, let the ones without sin cast the first stone. No, 
There's no one. There's no one. And so we're all heading towards death. We're all enslaved by sin. Complete separation from God. We're dead people walking, following the world, the flesh, the devil. Paul says, by nature, we were children of wrath like the rest of mankind. By nature, that's how we were born. We were born children of wrath. We had the wrath of God hanging over us, ready to come down on us at any moment. Our sinful nature provokes the wrath of God, and it's fearsome. It's fearsome. That's what we have to face. No one likes to face someone who's angry. Have you ever stood in front of someone who's really angry, and, and you're like, oh, it, it's horrible, horrible. But that's nothing compared to the righteous anger against sin that God has. It's a dreadful thought. And yet Paul says that's who we were. That's who we were. And that's who many people are right now. And this is not a nice message to hear. This isn't a popular thing. But Paul is saying it's true and we can't do anything about it. We can't do anything about it. Our only hope is to be removed out so that we're no longer in Adam, so that we're no longer in him, to be given a new identity. Some might say to be born again. That's our only hope. We've got to understand all this. We've got to understand that that's where people are in the world. Otherwise, we can slip into thinking that, that we can change people by, by some of the ways that the world tries to change people, by, by, by counseling them, by trying to help them in different ways, by, by you know, my, maybe education is going to help people be better. Uh, we can think as a church that we can help people to change and be better. You know, if, they, if people only started coming along to church, we'll just, we'll just churchify them, if that's a word. Um, you know, let's get some good, good programs. Let's, in, let, you know, let's install a great sound and light system. Let's, let's get a cool pastor who's got the beard and the skinny jeans and the, and the sleeve tattoo. And, you know, people will be able to relate with him. And, and whatever it might be, it won't do any good because people are dead. You know, it's no good to say, hey, well, look, why don't you come along to Christ Central? Do you know what? We've got some new chairs now. Now, do you like God anymore? No, they don't. They don't because they're dead. They're dead. They can't change. We can't change them. But then we get to verse 4, the big but. <laughs> but God, but God, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. He made us alive together with Christ. We couldn't change anything about ourselves, but God did. Paul's just spoken about the wrath of God, but now he speaks about God's love and both wrath and love are essential to the nature of God. We all know there needs to be punishment. There needs to be justice for wrong. We need to know that. When we're wronged, when someone we love is wronged, we know that. There's got to be justice. And God is a God of justice. We can't just have love without 
the, the punishment and the righteousness of God as well. But while Paul doesn't speak about great wrath, he does speak about God's great love for us. It's because of his great love that God made us alive with Christ, and he raised us up with him. We were dead. We had no relationship with God, but Christ was alive. He was God. He was God made flesh. He came down, the perfect, holy God, being born as a human. Yes, being tempted by the world and the flesh and the devil as we are, but never giving in to those temptations. He was the only one out of the billions and billions and billions who never sinned. The only one. So he wasn't dead. He was alive. He was alive. He had perfect relationship with his heavenly Father, a relationship that we could not have because of our sinful nature. And then Christ took our place. He suffered. He died, even though he was completely innocent. And he faced the punishment for sin. He faced that wrath of God poured out on him when it should have been poured out on us. He faced it so that we didn't have to. We heard all about that on Good Friday. But then, on the third day, God raised him to life. Yes, he was dead, but God raised him to life, and, he, and we went with him. God raised us to life with Christ. He made us alive together with Christ. He made us alive with Christ. We couldn't do anything about it. We didn't deserve it. Paul says it twice in this passage, by grace you were saved. That means you didn't deserve it. It's only in God's grace, giving you what you don't deserve, that it happened. We have to realize it's God who does it in us. It's not us. We don't just try religion and discover that it works for us. We can't make ourselves alive. We're dead. We can't set ourselves free from slavery. Only God can set us free from slavery. The Israelites couldn't set themselves free from slavery. In Egypt, only God could deliver them. Only God could deliver us. We were in Adam. We had to sin because he was a sinner. We were born in his likeness. But now we are born again. We are raised to a new life in Christ. And now we are in Christ. And Christ is sinless. So we've got a new nature. So we've got to understand that in Christ now, there's some new people who have got a completely different nature to everyone else. It's not just that they go to church. It's not just that they're good people. We've got a different nature. That's what Paul is trying to get hold of here for us, for us to get hold of here. You've got a new nature. You're new creations. New creations in Christ. Now we don't have to follow the way of the world. Now we're not under the power of the devil anymore. Now we don't have to give in to the desires of the flesh. We live by the Spirit. So we don't walk in those old ways. Those ways that we walked before were because we were in death. 
We were in shackles. We were in chains. We were dead people walking. Now we've been set free. We don't have to walk in those ways. So how do we walk? Well, verse 10 tells us we're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. We're born again, new creations, created for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God gives us a different way to walk. We don't have to walk in the old ways. God says, here's some works which I've created for you. I've made you alive in Christ. I've given you a new nature. And, I'm, and now you can walk in these ways. You can walk in goodness. We've seen that we were slaves. Slaves to sin. We had to go where our slave owner led us. That's where we walked. We were in chains. Slave owner sin said, let's go to the slave market. Okay, we've got to go. We're slaves to sin. We've got to go where he says. But then righteousness comes. And righteousness says, come with me. Come with me. And we were like, well, we can't. We can't go with you because we're slaves to sin. But righteousness says, no, no, I'm buying you. I'm purchasing you. I'm redeeming you. That's what Christ did. You're mine now. The full price has been paid by Jesus. We're no longer slaves to sin. We're slaves to righteousness. We can go in a new way because the price has been paid by Jesus. Now we have a new master. And we say yes to our new owner, righteousness. And we walk in those ways. Now we have an ability to choose good and not just evil because we're empowered by the Holy Spirit to do so. Because we've got a new nature and we've got power from on high. The Holy Spirit living in our lives. And, and when we do choose evil, we know we're failing our Father because we've got a new outlook on life. We know and actually we're convicted and we turn around. And we, and we walk in the ways which we now can walk. We walk in the good works which God has prepared for us to do. That's what we give our lives to now. It's completely different to what those who are not in Christ are doing. They are still walking in the ways of the world, following the world and the flesh and the devil. But we can turn away from those things and walk in good works. And we can do it because our chains are gone. We've been set free. God, our Savior, has ransomed us. That's what we sing. That's what we sing in that song, uh, Amazing Grace, with that amazing new chorus with Chris Tomlin that's put in. Our chains are gone. We've been set free. God, our Savior, he's ransomed me. It's so wonderful what God has done for us. And you know what? The glory all goes to God. The glory all goes to God because it's a completely free gift of grace. We didn't deserve it. It's totally undeserved. We're not better people than anyone else. We're not better than anyone else. It's by grace you've been saved through faith, Paul says. This isn't of your doing. It's a gift of God, not the results of works. It's not about how you're doing this and doing that to earn it. He says, no one can boast. No one. No one can say, I made it happen. I was better than this person. No. Some people twist it and, and they, hear, they hear the gospel and they hear how God's rescued us and, and forgiven us and, and, and redeemed us and, and brought us into new life. And, and they say, oh, do you know what? I must be so amazing because God did this for me. God must think I'm so special. No, we're not special ones. God's the special one. We are not. We didn't have 
anything to offer God. Nothing. Nothing. He has everything to offer us. This causes us to think and realize how wonderful God is, not how wonderful we are. If we don't see this, if we don't get hold of how wonderful God is through all of this, then actually during worship times when we gather together, we're probably going to be a little switched off. It's like, oh, we'll sing a few songs. I'm not that keen on this one. You know, oh, I don't really like this one. Oh, this is a bit high. We're, we're singing wonderful truths about God because we've, we've seen who we were. We've seen that we were dead people walking, condemned, following the ways of this world. And then we see what God did for us in his great love. And once we see that great love, we will worship and worship with amazement and wonder that God could love us. How could he? We'll always find something to praise him for. If we don't see it, we're not going to have a whole lot to say. But if we see it, we'll never stop praising him. If you're here this morning and haven't yet received Christ as your Savior, maybe, maybe you're just visiting us, then actually these early verses that Paul talks about here, they do describe you. They do describe who you are, a dead person walking. Now listen, that's hard to hear. I'm honest, I'm not wanting to offend you. I don't want to offend you, but I want to tell you the truth of what the Bible says. Listen, no one's pointing a finger at you or bringing judgment on anything that you do. It's not about the things that you do. It's about your nature. It's about whether you've understood that. And it's about whether you've understood what Christ has done for you. Because you can have those chains broken off even this morning. That's my prayer this morning, that you will understand this and you'll come into everything that Christ has for you. And if we are in Christ this morning, then we need to realize that actually this description of who we were, that's in the past. That's who we once were, not who we are now. Those are the ways in which we once walked. So don't walk in them now. Don't walk in them now. We've been baptized into new life. We went down into the waters of baptism. It was symbolic, showing that our old selves had died. We died with Christ, and then we were raised with Christ. We came up. We've been born again. We've got a new nature. We've been born to be different, born to walk into the good things which God has prepared for us to do, not just doing what I think or what I want, oh, I feel like doing this right now, not messing about with all the things that we used to walk in when we were slaves. We don't live in those ways any longer. We're no longer that person. We don't have to. We're free. Before that, we had to. We had to go over here. No, now we're free. We can walk in the ways of righteousness. Let's believe that. Let's believe that we are who God says we are. And let's live our life in that way. I'm going to invite the worship band to come back up. And I'd just love to pray for us as we finish. And we're going to finish by singing that song, I am who you say I am. Because this is so important. You know, we, there's a practical outworking to all that we've been looking at this morning. And, it, and it's where I've just ended up. You know, we need to know that we, if we're in Christ, 
We've been set free. We don't have to walk in those ways any longer. We can receive the power of the Spirit so that we no longer follow the world, the flesh, the devil. And if, if, if this is where you still are, you can be set free too this morning. Why don't we stand together? Why don't we stand together as we come to worship? Father God, I thank you. You know, your word is so rich, God. There's so many things that you, ways that we can see who we are in you. But Lord, as we look at this particular one, Lord, we want to we wanna recognize it this morning. It's not an easy one to get our heads around. It's not something that, that we can easily embrace. But oh God, Holy Spirit, I pray you will speak to us in our hearts this morning that we will know the truth of your words, that actually this is who we once were, and we, we were slaves. But you've set us free, and you've set us free to walk in other ways. Help us to do that. Holy Spirit, I pray, come right now even, day by day, fill us with your Spirit. Let us walk in the ways of righteousness. And I pray that as we understand who we are in you, we will worship you. We will worship you. We will worship you for all that you have done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.